0: you have wired us so that we are, we love to, we, we praise the things that delight us. We see a beautiful sunset and we, we, we praise it. And in some way, the praise completes our enjoyment. And we want to share, we want to say, did you see the beautiful sunset last night? Praise, we praise what we love And we want to share the joy with others. And we love you, Lord Jesus. You are more beautiful than a thousand sunsets. Because you created them with a word. And we come to you asking that you would help us to see and savor more of your beauty today in your word. I pray that your Holy Spirit that we'll be talking about today would move in our midst. And give us a fresh filling with power and grace. May we love you more. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. So we have been doing an Advent series as a church. Advent and an Advent is the arrival of an important person or an event. So kids wait all year for the Advent of their birthdays, right? Um, we wait, I wait for the advent of hunting season each year, or we wait for the advent of something, the arrival. And at Christmas time, we remember the advent of Jesus, his great arrival in history almost 2,000 years ago. And we look forward to the advent of his return, the coming of Jesus. And so Right now, we're on our third, um, third section of this five-part Advent series. The fifth one will be the Easter, um not Easter—the uh, uh, Christmas Eve service that Brian will be talking about. Uh, so, this first one, the first one that we did, we di- we talked about the fact that Jesus was fully God and fully man. All right. Again, Christmas time. See the manger. See the baby lying in the manger. We are looking right now at the identity of that man. Okay? Who is that little baby that became a man? All right? Well, he was fully God and fully man. We saw that two weeks ago. Now, last week, um, we talked in our second part about how Jesus, even though he was fully God, it didn't make him less of a man. Okay, So we talked about nine things that we see in the Bible that show us Jesus was a real person. Like He got tired. He had human emotions. He got hungry. He needed to rest. He could die and did die for our sins. And after that, I, I shared in our conclusion four reasons why Jesus really had to be a man. The first one. He had to be human to replace Adam, the first human, as the perfect king that we so desperately need. Adam was to rule creation by obeying God's word. He failed. And then I was talking with Richard this morning and Kim. There's a train wreck of other Adams that come along. Noah was to be another Adam, and he sinned just like um, Adam the first. And Israel as a nation was to be a corporate Adam. How'd they do? Good or not so good? And God's like, well, one new Adam didn't work. Let's try a a whole nation of people that'll be my son and obey me. No. Okay? So all of it is to make us long for the one to come, Jesus. And he came. He had to be human to be the perfect king we so desperately needed. Second, he had to be human to die for humans in our place, bearing our sin. Third, he had to be human to provide us a perfect example of what it means to live as a human. He is our example. He restores all that God intended for humans to be and do. He shows us what that is to look like. And fourth, and finally, Jesus had to be fully human to defeat death. We now know that a human beat death, Jesus, and he comes back. Does everybody ever come back from the grave? Jesus has. and he says, I went through it. And guess what's on the other side? Resurrection because of me. That's why we believe Jesus was a man, because he beat death for men and not just death. He beat Satan for man and he beat sin for man. Jesus is our victor because he was a man. Now, this morning's message, the third part, it builds on last week's message, okay? As you read the Gospels, you see lots of things that show you Jesus is a complete human, like the things we looked at last week. But you also notice in the Gospels that Jesus did a lot of superhuman things, Divine things, even. Let's think of a few of them together. Shout them out. What are some things that that Jesus did that you know of that show that He wasn't just your average Joe human? Healed people. Healed people. Drove out demons. Drove out demons. Walked on stormy waves. Walked on stormy waves. Yeah, I don't. Any of you done that? No. <laughs> I fell out of a canoe once. I sank. <laughs> Raise, the dead. Raise the dead. Anything else? Spoke like no one else could speak. No one has spoke this way. Yeah. Fed <laughs> five thousand people. Fed five thousand people. Yeah. Okay. So, so Jesus isn't your average Joe, right? The whole nation of Israel knew who he was. Walking on water, raising the dead, knowing what people were thinking, forgiving sins, we could go on and on. So an honest reader of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they could ask a really fair question. Was Jesus really human if he could do all the things we just talked about him doing? isn't raising dead people more than human? Isn't healing somebody when you're not even near them, just saying the word and the, the son is healed, isn't that more than just what a human could do? And so if Jesus can do these things, how could he really be a person, like a human being, all right? How is he not superhuman, like some Marvel movie character, Okay if you don't know what the Marvel movies are, that's okay. I like them. But how can Jesus not be like Captain America or something, you know, Man of Steel? Pastors years ago when the Man of Steel movie came out, they had like, I think, Bible studies for it or something. Like, Jesus is the Man of Steel. No, he's not, okay? He's not Superman. There's a lot of differences. But when you read the life of Jesus, how, how do you not come away with this idea? Like, this is a superman. Like, he's doing things that nobody else can do. Now, here's what I think the Bible's answer is. Jesus was not superhuman, but everything that he did and said in his earthly ministry as a human was empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, the father dwelling in him, including those things that we perceive as beyond human ability, the supernatural things. So did you catch that? in in becoming human Jesus the son of God he chose to become a man and to depend in becoming a man to depend totally on the holy spirit of his father to fulfill his calling so the main point of this morning's message is this Jesus lived a fully human life in the power of the holy spirit I'll say that again Jesus lived a fully human life In the power of the Holy Spirit. So that even the things you read of that Jesus did that are not supernatural. Okay? Like teaching thousands of people. You know, people teach thousands of people today. Those things even, he's doing in dependence upon the Holy Spirit. And he's walking on water by the power of God's Holy Spirit within him. And he's feeding 5,000 people by the power of God's Holy Spirit in him. And the application this morning will be, that's how you and I are to live too. By the power of the Holy Spirit within us. And so this morning, the sermon has three points. First, Jesus lived a spirit-filled life. Second, the ancient prophets of Israel, they said the Messiah, Jesus, would live a spirit-filled life. Third, Christians are to live a spirit-filled life. So our main text is going to be the the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1 up through chapter 4. Okay? I'll just pause and say that this sermon uh, could be, we're going to end with the book of Acts, uh, looking at the book of Acts. Luke wrote two books. The Gospel writer Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And the Gospel of Luke could be seen as the Holy Spirit empowering Jesus to live and die for the world. And Acts could be summarized as Jesus sending his Spirit to empower the church. To change the world. Okay? So Luke's first volume is the empowered Jesus, the Spirit-empowered Jesus, Luke, and Acts is the Spirit-empowered church. Alright? So we're gonna we're gonna that's basically kind of the bookends of this message this morning. And in the middle, we're gonna look at how this spirit-empowered Jesus was talked about by the prophets. Actually, the spirit-empowered church was talked about by the prophets as well. One of my favorite ones, his name was Joel, uh, talked about it. Well, we're not going to go there today. So first, Jesus lived the spirit-filled life. If you've got Luke's gospel open, let's look at Luke chapter 1, verse 31 to 35. Luke's gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, chapter 1, verse 31 to 35. There the angel announced the birth of Jesus to Mary. He says, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you're to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The most high would be God the father. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How can this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. In the ancient religions of the world, uh, particularly the Greek um, religions, they had their chief god, Zeus. Okay, And one thing that Zeus liked to do in his spare time was go down and visit beautiful ladies on earth and have kids with them. And the kids would become super kids, like semi-gods, demi-gods. Okay? So, is that what the Bible's saying here? God the Father pulls a Zeus, finds Mary, and has a super kid? No. No. The Muslims actually think that that's what Christians believe. And that's one of the reasons they hate Christianity. And that is not what we believe. In fact, actually, sadly, the Mormons uh, started off teaching this. Christians freaked out so much over the years that they backed away from an official Mormon teaching. But Brigham Young, Joseph Smith, they did say that God the Father knocked on Mary's door and uh, spent the night. So, again, this is not what we believe the Holy Spirit of God, the, the, the Spirit who speaks out life from nothing, shows up, okay, and overpower, just, he just creates life in Mary's womb. The Holy Spirit will overshadow you. He is the agent in the incarnation going forth from the throne room of God in heaven and making God's eternal word take on flesh and blood as a human embryo. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. See that there in Luke 1, verse 35. Jesus is a miracle baby. Now, as we continue to read through Luke's gospel, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, we'll see the Holy Spirit start to pop up all over the place. He's working in John the Baptist. If you've got your Bible, open, I'll just point out some verses. John the Baptist has the Holy Spirit filling him even before he's born. Luke 1, verse 15. John was supposed to announce the coming of Jesus. And he actually empowers John's ministry in the wilderness in John one or Luke 1, verse 80. All the way down to verse 80. The Spirit is working in John the Baptist's parents, Elizabeth and a man named Zechariah, as they praise God for the birth of their son John. And as they celebrate the news that Mary is pregnant, With the Messiah, Jesus. Zechariah, filled with the Holy Spirit, starts praising God. And part of what he's praising God for is Jesus. He says, the sunrise will visit us from on high. In the Old Testament, the coming of the Messiah is compared to the rising of the sun. And Zechariah is just by the Spirit, singing to Jesus and praying, praise. And the Spirit is also working mightily in an elderly man named Simeon, who's in the temple of God. And he gets to meet baby Jesus just like the Spirit had told him he would. And guided by the Spirit, Luke 2, verses 25-32, to 32, guided by the Spirit, Simeon prophesies over this little baby, eight days old, as he's holding him, and he speaks God's word over him. He says, this one is appointed to be the Savior, God's Savior. He will save Israel from their sins. But the, the, the event that I want to specifically look at this morning... Is Jesus' baptism in Luke 3. Luke 3, verses 21 to 22. So if you've got Luke's gospel open, you could look there with me. Verses 21 and 22. When the people were being baptized by John the Baptist, which was a sign that they wanted to get their hearts right with God, they wanted to follow God. And of course, Jesus, he was following God, but he's identifying with this new, this people that want to be right with God. He's saying, I'm one of the people that wants to be right with God, and Jesus gets baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. It doesn't say as a dove; it's like a dove. So it didn't mean a dove came down and landed on Jesus, and or whatever. It's just whatever the fluttering was. It's like a dove's wings. We, we don't really know. It, he, Luke is comparing it to a dove coming down, like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. So here at Jesus's baptism, we see the three persons of our triune God at the same time interacting with one another. The son obediently being baptized, the father speaking words of pleasure from heaven As he views his obedient son and the spirit coming down from heaven like a dove, descending on God's son and anointing him in a special way as God's spirit-filled, spirit-empowered Messiah. Now, the word Messiah, which in Greek is translated Christ, it means anointed king. Okay? Jesus Christ isn't like Joel Aubrey, like first and second name. Jesus Christ means Jesus the Christ. It's a title. Jesus, God's anointed king. Okay? And in, in the Old Testament of the Bible, the kings of Israel would often be anointed with oil as a sign, poured over their heads as the sign that they were the one that the Spirit of God had called to be the king or the leader of the nation of God's people. Israel. The, the, the oil being poured on their head was a symbol of the Holy Spirit being poured out on them, that God's Spirit was on them, helping them lead God's people with God's wisdom. Now, in the story of Israel, the Spirit was with many of their good anointed kings, okay, men like King David. But in the case of their evil kings, like King Saul... In Israel's story, the spirit departed from him because of his disobedience. That shows that he wasn't in the story. It shows Saul isn't God's man anymore. He's not the anointed king anymore. He lost the spirit. The spirit left him. The spirit in the Old Testament can come, even on pretty terrible people, to to help God's people. So we see Samson, who's a complete train wreck of a person. Very wicked man. But the Spirit can use Samson, give him strength, to deliver God's people from his enemies. All right? So we, we see that all through, and Saul gets the Spirit of God to help him, and, and yet, because of his disobedience and evil, the Spirit leaves, and, and then we get King David, a Spirit-anointed individual. So to have the Spirit anoint you, in the Old Testament, meant... You're God's king, or God's using you for a special task, all right? Now Jesus gets the spirit coming down on him, and we see he's God's king. That's what it means. And, and the king is—God God is the big king overall, and if you're God's king on earth, you're his son. You're, you're ministering in his stead. We could say so much more about that, but just know, okay? Jesus is declared God's son and God's king at his baptism. He's anointed by the Spirit. And the Spirit, we're going to see in a second, the Spirit remains on Jesus before and after his time of testing. The Spirit doesn't empower Jesus for a specific task and then depart. No. The Spirit stays with Jesus. And we're going to see that in the next story. So again, like I said, if you know anything about Israel's story and their their kings, no matter how anointed by the Spirit these kings were, they all ended up disobeying God in the end. Even David, who had the Spirit on him and who wrote so much of our Bible, you know, Psalms and stuff, by the Spirit's help, David sinned terribly and needed God's forgiveness. So as we read about Jesus, we see he becomes God's, he's anointed as God's king in power, right? And, and, and so the question is, is he going to be faithful? What kind of king will this man be? Is the spirit going to be taken away from him? Is he going to disobey in his time of testing? Well, look at Luke chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the jordan where he was baptized and led by the spirit into the wilderness he was led by the spirit where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil he ate nothing during those days and at the end of them he was hungry the devil said if you are the son of god tell this stone to become bread jesus answered it is written man shall not live on bread alone the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, the devil, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Pause there. Is Satan blowing smoke? I don't think so. Who gave him authority over the world? Adam. Oh! Oh! Satan, snake, your words sound good. They sound better than God's words. You get to be my king. Adam was supposed to rule the world, exercise dominion over creation. And all of a sudden, he gave authority to the snake, to the beast. All right? And Jesus, the last Adam, his job is to defeat the beast, to yank that authority back. But he's not going to do it by bowing to Satan. He's going to do it through the cross. He knows that. So he says, "You." it was written, Satan, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, he's putting his sonship to the test. If you're really God's special king, let's see if he cares about you. Jump off the temple. See if God's going to help you because he has written it It is written. Oh, so now Satan throws some Bible at Jesus. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. It's from Psalm 91. Jesus answered, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all his tempting, he left him until an opportune time. So, so much we could say about this story, but. Here we see three times Satan tries to disobey, get Jesus to disobey God. He tries to get God's anointed son to act in unbelief. And yet Jesus, he's full of the spirit. And each time he's tempted, he doesn't disobey the Lord, but instead he quotes Bible. He quotes God's word to Satan, just like Adam should have in the garden. Adam should have said to Satan, no, God said, don't eat, I'm not going to eat. Jesus, the faithful son of God he doesn't disobey. Again, this is the exact opposite of what happened for God's people, Israel, when they were tested in the wilderness for 40 years. Jesus is in the desert for 40 days. It's not the number 40 isn't an accident, okay? And Israel as a nation, what do they do wandering in the desert for 40 days, or 40 years? Grumble, complain, break God's word, disobey the Father. In Numbers 11, Moses gives us the reason. It's because they don't have the Holy Spirit remaining on them. Remember back in the Garden of Eden, Adam? Again, he didn't obey in his time of testing, but Jesus, God's faithful son, he obeys. And Jesus shows in Luke that the key to obeying God faithfully is to have God's Spirit fully. Apart from the Spirit of God, we will do no better than Adam or Israel or anyone else. Now notice... Luke 14 to 21, Jesus didn't lose the spirit in the wilderness. Verse 14, let's look at verse 14. Luke chapter 4, verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the spirit. He still has the spirit after the testing. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the Lord, to, for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind." to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So up until now, we've been looking at the first main point, Jesus lived a spirit-filled life. And now in Luke 4, we see the second point. The ancient prophets of Israel said that the Messiah, Jesus, would live a spirit-filled life. Do you see that there in verse 21? Jesus says, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, Jesus is saying, this guy Isaiah is talking about, yeah, that's me.